welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. God, as we're in this moment, we celebrate you, God. We celebrate the fact that Christ came. We celebrate the fact that Christ taught so many things that resonate with our heart. We celebrate that he died for our sins, that he was buried, but then three days later he rose up from the grave, and now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. We celebrate that today, because in his resurrection was our resurrection. In the new life that he put on display, it spoke to the new life we are experiencing. And now, God, now, God, we come today as the word of God goes forth. We come in such a way, God, where we want to hear you once again speaking from on high and speaking to our hearts. And as Jesus walked with the disciples, he said, did not our hearts burn? Oh, as he spoke, our hearts were burning. It was Jesus that was teaching. And in this place, God, Christ dying and rising from the dead cannot be explained. God, people must encounter you. They must encounter the risen Savior. They must hear you speaking. They must hear your voice pulling at them. So God, in this moment, let there not be the eloquence of man or the wisdom from men, but let there be such a clear move of the Holy Spirit that when we walk away from this place, we are forever changed. God, we rest in that. We trust in that. We walk in that. We look for that. We expect you to move. Oh, we are. We're in this moment right now, God. And this is such a safe place with you. This is such a safe place with you. We've got so many burdens that walked into this room right now, God. So much fear and anxiety and depression that walked into this room right now. And Sunday, far too often, Easter Sunday, is the day we try to look our best for God when he died for us, when we were at our worst. And God, we don't need to perform anymore. I pray right now that we would just pray for ourselves. Wherever you are right now with God, he is not shocked. He is not surprised. You can never impress him. You can't impress him, nor can you fool him. God will not be mocked. God, this is a safe place because every heart right now is sensitive to your presence. And legalism and religion can't stay in your presence. That's why he was so intense on the Pharisees because they tried to make rules to make people feel less. There's common ground right here at the cross. Now, God, through your power and through your presence, speak. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's give it up for the Lord. Let's give it up for the Lord. Praise God. Well, praise God for those of you that are here for our very first time here at Bridge Church. I'm the pastor, James, and I'm uh, really excited about being here and excited that um, we, we're in a crazy day because 
we, we had so much going on today that we really didn't talk a lot about this being our second anniversary, but give it up that today is our second anniversary. <laughs> I think, um, I think we're going to show a little bit at the end, but my wife and I, we moved here several years ago to start a church, and our dream was that we could start a church for people that don't go to church. We could start a church where it wasn't based on the way you look or the way you sound, but we could start a church where people could be free and be themselves and, and, and be on a journey with God and still be discovering where you're at. We wanted to start that church, and by God's grace, that little Bible study of two and three people began to multiply, not because there was, this, there, there was something new that we were doing. In fact, we were doing something old. We were just telling people about Jesus and trying to build authentic relationships. The, the crazy thing that, that about us as a church is we authentically believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We, we believe that with all of our hearts. And when you look out in the landscape of the city, many people believe in a Jesus. They believe about Jesus. But at the core of our believing, we believe that a man said he was God, predicted his death, and it happened. He, he died, but he also predicted that he would rise again from the dead. And he said it in such a way that if I rise from the dead, in essence, you need to take everything else I say seriously. <laughs> My prediction, if I can predict that. Now, and, and, and it wasn't like he, he didn't just die on a hospital bed and then just wake up. He wasn't resuscitated. He resurrected. And there's a difference. There's a difference between being asleep and waking up or being in a coma or seeing the white light. Jesus didn't see the white light. He was dead. But he rose again from the dead. And so that's the core of our belief. And when you believe something so powerful and so true, it changes the way you live. It changes the way you think. It changes your posture towards life. Many men during that time when Jesus rose again from the dead, many people responded to that death and they wrote about it. But not only did they write about it, they died. Matthew would write about the scriptures, about how Jesus rose again from the dead, but he was speared to death and killed. Luke, a doctor, wrote about Jesus dying from, rising from the dead, and, and he investigated the truths of it. But he, too, would end his life. You would look at John and, and all these incredible people. Peter, Peter, you've probably heard of Peter. Peter was crucified and he was hung upside down because he believed that Jesus rose again from the dead. All these people wrote about Jesus, but they not only wrote about him, they gave their lives to tell the story that Jesus rose again from the dead. But what's crazy is that the culture we live in, they, there, is a, there is a sense that we love us some Jesus. But his resurrection, we figure, is a part of this teaching that's negotiable. And what's crazy is that all the writers that died at the core of their belief was that Jesus rose again from the dead. It's so wild, you know, I mean, um, but, but, I, but I could understand that, you know, because I wasn't always walking with the Lord. And even without being a Christian, I love me some Jesus. Because Jesus healed people, and that's a good thing. You know, he would go around and he would heal the sick and the lame, and he was around tax collectors and lepers and prostitutes. That's a good thing. Jesus would talk about forgiveness, and everybody wants forgiveness. Jesus said the most quoted verse that nobody even knows, saying, don't judge. Everybody loves that statement. Don't judge people. 
Don't, you know, all these great truths about Jesus. Jesus healed people. We love healing. We love all these great truths about Jesus. But there's a part of us that wants to distance ourselves from the resurrection while keeping the teachings of Jesus. And when we do that, in essence, what we're doing is we're resurrecting the teachings of Jesus but keeping his body in the grave. And when, and when that happens, there's a part of us that is losing the essence and the power that Jesus proclaimed. He proclaimed that I will rise again from the power of God. And that's why we can trust in everything else he says. You know, when I, when I talk about Jesus, you know, and I tell people I'm a pastor and they get this weird look like that's okay for you, good for you kind of thing. But I appreciate it. I get it. I understand, you know. But there's this point where it's just hard to kind of believe that a man rose again from the dead. It's hard to believe. But, but I love the other things he said. I love the other things he did. I appreciate it. And the other, the element that people have a hard time with is they kind of say, you know, could it be that maybe the disciples just, maybe they just got it wrong? There's kind of this belief that the disciples kind of made it up to keep those great teachings out there. I mean, have you ever heard anything like that? Like maybe there was kind of this conspiracy of, 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 of telling people about Jesus' death so that people could believe the truths about Jesus. But that would mean that the disciples came together, and this is what they said. They said, let's make up a lie to keep the truth of Jesus alive, right? And when doing that, we would say that people who are espousing this great moral truth did something really immoral. They made up a lie about a man rising from the dead. So there's this kind of part of us that says, you know people, you know how people are. And yet, the resurrection, it wasn't just a part of their teaching. It was the very thing they died for, and they were living for this man, dying for this man, and dying to tell people that he rose again from the dead. <laughs> um, I was, uh, you know, you ever watch the Discovery Channel? Discovery Channel always comes out with like a Jesus series around this time, or the History Channel, or something like that. And uh, so I was, I was watching it. And so the other thing is, is that not only do people have a hard time with the fact that the disciples, you know, told the story, but they have a hard fact where they say, man, the scriptures were written decades after Jesus rose again from the dead. And, you know, then, the, you know, when somebody's talking, they'll be like, decades later, just decades, just decades, decades. <laughs> a decade is 10 years, man. <laughs> So, you know, when you think about that, like a decade is 10 years, so a couple decades means that someone could die and we could still talk about that person. We could remember where you were when the person died, right? We have a picture of somebody that has life after death, according to Biggie. They say, they say Biggie, there's people that believe Biggie's still alive, right? And there's people who know where they were when Biggie died. Some people don't know who Biggie Smalls is. Okay, well, we'll work with you, Notorious B.I.G., but the heartbeat of that is that that was 20 years ago now. And you remember where you were and you tell that story. But that was only 20 years ago. And 20 years ago, Biggie died and we believe, some people believe in that. But Jesus dies and only about 20 or 30 years later, people begin to write about Jesus. And when they write about him, they want to tell this great story about him rising from the dead. And the heartbeat 
that you have to hear is that the resurrection isn't just a part of his teaching. It's essential to what he believed and what he said about himself. Paul, the apostle, writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have your Bible, you can go there, or you can look on your phone if you have it, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, when he writes about this, he says it this way. He says, and if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. He says, if the resurrection isn't real, then stop listening to everything else I've been saying. All of my preaching is not accurate if the resurrection isn't real. And then he says, your faith, what you believe, that's not real either. The word vain means it has a good look, but really doesn't have effectiveness. He says, when I preach, I'm preaching and I'm making you feel good, but it really has no effectiveness. It has no value or no worth. It's just looking good. And he says, your faith, it looks good, but it has no power. You know, every wedding I do, we, we turn to 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. We love those verses, love bears all things, hopes all things, believes all things. But Paul says, you cannot believe what, what I said in chapter 13 if you're not willing to believe in what I said in chapter 15. He, and, and, and you can do that, but he just says, listen, stop listening to me because the core of why I say everything else is this, the resurrection he says, my preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. It looks good, but it has no effectiveness. <laughs> and so now Paul is not going to let this point go. He keeps moving and pushing forward. He says in verse, uh, verse 15, he says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God. Other versions will say we have been false witnesses. What he's saying is, we have been going around telling you something about God that really isn't true. And so because of that, you need to stop listening to everything else we say. Feel the implications of this and feel the weight of this. The resurrection, he is saying, is so essential that I am willing to bank on everything else I'm saying and seeing that as not and seeing this as the core he says, this is the core. I've been misrepresenting the Lord if the resurrection isn't real. Paul, a missionary journeyman, someone that would go and give his life and go from town to town and city to city. He's saying all those hours that I have spent really were in vain because the core of my belief isn't true. He goes on and he says something. He says something so powerful. He says in verse uh, 17, uh, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. And then in verse 18, he says, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. You know, that word perish there, it, it doesn't mean just they died. He says those who have fallen asleep in Christ and perished, that word means lost, like someone disintegrating, like you can't find them anymore. Let me be clear. He's not saying if Christ isn't resurrected, those people are in hell. He's saying, I don't know where they are. 
He's saying, I, I can't, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Remember when Jesus was talking about angels and heaven? Stop saying that. Because everything else Jesus talked about was based upon the fact that he was going to raise from the dead. So let me be clear with you. I, I don't know where your friends are. And that really kind of works against us, doesn't it? Because everyone, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian, non-Christian, whatever religion you may be, everyone, when death happens, we automatically, we don't even say heaven, we say they're in a better place. <laughs> we don't even have to have a degree in seminary, it's, just, it's a better place. <laughs> How do you know? Because this sucks, I hate this, this is better than this. He's in a better place. Isn't that true? Everyone does that. We say that's, it's, it's better than this. But if the resurrection is, real, how do, is not real, how do we know? Many of our descriptions of that better place really is heaven. And the angels that we talk about and the throne room and the better place really is God's place. It's Christ. It's being with Christ. And there was, a, there was a time when there was a woman who was speaking one time uh, in John chapter 11. And she was talking about her brother Lazarus who had died. And in talking about her brother, she ended up saying, I know that my brother will resurrect on that day. And she was speaking to the potential of resurrection because she understood in the Old Testament that resurrection could happen. In other words, she was saying, I know that my brother will live again in a better place. I don't know how to describe it, but I just know. Jesus was in the room, and this is what Jesus said in John 11. I'll read it up on the screen, and you can see it too. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live again. He shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He says two things that are so critical, so critical to hear. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Your brother isn't just going to resurrect one day and live again. I am the resurrection. Living again comes through me. It is believing in me. I am the resurrection. So when he goes on to say, though he die, your brother will die, he will live again. He'll live again based upon the fact that he has a relationship with me. I am the door and I am the entryway. I am the resurrection, he's saying. And so it is through believing in me that he will live again in heaven, in that better place. But then he goes on to say, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And it almost seems like a contradiction, but what he's saying there is that when a person puts their faith and trust in me, they now have a new life. And so when Jessica was up here and she was talking about her old life, and now she has a new life, she's saying in many ways, though I did not physically resurrect, spiritually there is an old me and a new me now. So what he's saying is, I am the resurrection, yes, that's life in heaven, but I'm also the life, that's life here on earth. So what that means is you can bank on going to heaven when you know me, but you also should expect to change because you know me and because I'm now working inside of you, your life. I'm the resurrection future, but I'm also the life now. 
And eternity with God begins now. It's knowing him now. And you get his peace now. And you get his joy now. And all those great truths are now. And the beauty of the gospel is that it's available to us and real to us. And he, that means that we have, that means our faith doesn't have to be in vain. It can be banking on the truth. But there's a question that he asks. He says, do you believe this? And in that moment, I'm sure the, the moment was filled with tension. Because there's a part of us, even as I speak, and as Jesus speaks, there's a part of us that goes, mm-hmm, resurrection life, true, yes, amen, I know that's right, yes, amen. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? And so what I've concluded is that I really didn't come to faith in Jesus Christ because I got all the evidence together. I didn't go, and I didn't go to like, the, I didn't go to Jerusalem. I didn't do all this fact-checking. The voice of God began to minister to my heart, and I just couldn't do the things the same way. God started changing me. I wanted to stay the same, but I started becoming convicted about my life. I started reading the Bible, and things became true. And when I would hear a sermon, it was like the brother was talking to me. But what's crazy is that's happening right now. Like when I said, do you believe this? Someone in the crowd felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit speaking to them. Because the voice of, because this is the thing, Jesus is alive. And he's still speaking towards today. And he's convicting hearts today. And he's convicting people now. And he's asking the question now, do you believe this? Do you believe? There is a part of us that wants to take away the distraction of that conviction. And we want to live and take the pieces of Christianity and live our own way. And so, yeah, man, that Jesus, man, what a great teacher. I, lo I love Jesus' teaching. I love his lifestyle. I love what he represented. He represented goodness. All those things are true. But what we cannot discount is that there is a real element in our culture that loves the echoes of Christianity, but it wants to erase the voice of Jesus. The voice of Jesus won't let you stay the same. The voice of Jesus keeps pulling at us, prodding on us. And then we come into a space of church, and we like, this is church, so let's get ready, because this is church, and church people, <laughs> and, that, and that has a lot of implications. But everyone in here has a life that is jacked up and messed up. And we look good on Sunday, but, it, it, but the bottom line is this. We came to the cross as sinners, and Christ changed us and is changing us. But it's because we believe that he begins that change. And there is a part of us that wants to amen the words of Jesus, but discount the life of Jesus. But today can't be that day anymore for some of you. Because for some of you, you feel the weight of conviction. For some of you, you feel the weight of these truths. And when I am saying, do you believe, you know you cannot stay the same. You know you want the world to change. And you know you want to follow Jesus. And yet, there's a part of you that doesn't want to give up something. And it may be friends. And it may be family. 
And it may be the kind of life that you thought you were having. And yet Jesus, if he rose again from the dead, then we must consider his words as true. We must consider his life as true. And so we have a decision to make. Do you believe this? Now, there is a gray area and a middle ground. And it goes like this. Amen, I agree. But I'm going to get myself together at another time. And in the meanwhile, I'm going to kind of live for the Lord and kind of live for myself. And though you've never said it, your heart is saying amen right now. (laughs) And this is what Paul says. Listen, listen now. Paul says, (laughs) in his very ghetto way, stop fronting. (laughs) But but listen, listen, this is what I mean by that. Stop, stop. He says, stop that, stop. Look look in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says in verse 32, he says, If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, and some versions say, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So you know what he's saying? Paul is saying, it's it's the other verse. Paul is saying that in no way, shape, or form should you, if you're not certain that the resurrection is real, you shouldn't try to live any kind of moral life because there's no certainty of a next life. He says, if this is all we've got, then why are you only having one drink? You need to have three. (laughs) Why, Why are you, listen, why are you moral in any way, shape, or form? Why do you have one wife? You need to have another, and don't be honest with her. Oh, some people looking at me like I'm crazy right now. No, understand, you're, you're building your morality on a false premise. He's saying, if the resurrection is not real, that means that we can't count on heaven. If the resurrection is not real, we cannot count on another afterlife. Now, there are, you know, the, um, the, the, there were um, these Vikings, and they believed in a place called Valkyrie, and it was a totally different space, and, and Muslims believe in paradise. And there are other options. And I'm not telling you not to believe in those options. I'm just saying, if you are going to believe in the new life that Jesus Christ is talking about, it's based upon your belief in him and his resurrection power. That is the beginning of the belief that I will live again and I will live new. That's, it's beginning with him. And if you don't believe that, Paul is saying, then punt Christian morality. Don't try to have Christian morality but not have Christ is what he's saying. He's saying you must have him. But there is a part of us that wants a Jesus to allow me to be in control and to live my own life and all at the same time affirming everything he says. And he steps into that room just like he stepped into this room in John 11 and says, do you believe No, you can't have Christian morality without Christ. We must have the Christ. You know, when I was, um, when I was, uh, you know, young, my dad, um, I'm, I'm 40, so I guess that doesn't mean I'm young anymore, but when I was a kid, um, my, I, got, I, got, I got taken to so many church services. 
Um, you know, and I can't believe I'm a pastor. That's the crazy thing that I'm a pastor. And every pastor had like a preacher voice, you know, the preacher voice, and God, and it was like real slow and melodious and no shade on anybody that preaches like that. But, um, <laughs> but you know, I, I was in so many church services and I remember one church service, because I used to just sit there and be like, when is this over? Like, I used to time it, you know, and just want to get out of there. And, um, and I remember one Sunday, I don't remember anything the pastor said, but I remember there was this one pastor, he was preaching, and he asked a very dynamic question. He said, if you were to die tonight, how certain are you that you would be with the Lord? And I remember, I could not shake it. I couldn't shake that question. And I remember that they had um, those that gave their life to Christ. They went, it was like two people. They, they ended up going to like another room. And I remember I had to go to the bathroom, really just to get up and leave, but I went out to the bathroom. And uh, I saw the two women sitting there praying. And I remember thinking, I want to be over there, but I'm afraid. I want to be over there praying, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid to let go, and I'm afraid to leave the life that I understand and know. And I just want to say to you, those that may be afraid, and those that may not be certain of the life that Christ has for them, Christ did not die to give you something less. He died to give you something more. You see, he says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And there's something in us that says, no, I don't want that. I want that. I want both. I want to I kind of eat some and drink some and be merry some, and I want some of Jesus. And Jesus says, all of me. I want you to have all of me. And, I'm, and, and I know, listen, you, there is a truth. There is a truth. Listen, you can come to Jesus and still be messed up and still working it out. Like, there are people in here love Jesus and still eating, drinking, and being married. I mean, I'm just saying. I know that sounds like a contradiction, but it's true. Like, there are people that are still working it out. There are people who are still working it out. And you're afraid to be in that hypocrite space. That's why you won't take that step. You're afraid because you know you're not where you want to be, and you love the performance too much. When I was on campus, I, I pledged a fraternity Omega Psi Phi, and I remember that uh, while I was on campus, you know, um, I, I did the step show, and I was, I was dancing, and they took pictures of me, and I looked real crazy, and I was in the cover newspaper. I'd never been in the cover newspaper. Newspaper had never been in color. It was in color that day. It was crazy. <laughs> I look insane. I look insane. I look insane. And so I'm walking on campus, and all the sinners are like, yeah, and all the Christians are like, what? And I'm like, oh, my God. And I was, I'm walking, I'm walking, and I'm walking on campus, and like literally this happens, I'm walking on campus, and like one of my friends who, you know, I used to go to the clubs with, walks up to me, he's like, yo, man, you are crazy, I saw you in the paper, dog, yeah. So then somebody else, somebody else comes up to me who hadn't seen the paper, I was in Bible study with, they walk up to me like, hey, James, how are you, you know, are you praying and stuff, and they were having a conversation with me at the same time. So I'm fronting on this side, like, you know, I'm just, you know, just, I was just dancing. They caught me in a bad mood. Yeah, I'll be there tonight. You mean me to bring cookies to the Bible study? You know, and I was just. (laughs) 
And I know it sounds like a contradiction. I understand that. But part of knowing Christ is a contradiction. Part of it is a contradiction, and that's what distracts you. You've seen so many people that aren't living the life, and you go, when I come to Christ, I'm going to be real. And guess what? You're going to be real jacked up because this is the thing. This is the thing. You are, you, are, you, are in, you are inconsistent to your own standard now. Like you're like, you know, you ought to, you ought to eat vegetables every day. <laughs> like, you haven't had a broccoli in like a month. That's what I'm saying is that you don't keep your standards now. How are you going to keep a holy God standard? You're not going to keep his standard. It's not about keeping his standard. It's about keeping in his presence and being with his people and being in his word and knowing that we are broken. We are broken people. And when we sing songs about death not being able to hold him down, that is the pinnacle of hope. Because death is the greatest fear that this world could ever give. And if Jesus can defeat death, why should I be afraid of anything else? If he can defeat death, and that's why the scripture said, oh, death, where is your sting? Well, I thought it was going to be something more, but no, Jesus rises from the dead, and he speaks to the new life you can have in Christ. He speaks to the new life you will have with him in heaven. And so it's not enough to try to have both, and there's something in you that wants to pull these two worlds together and, and try to be this person that is in the world and in Christ, and a lot of us are attempting to do that, but some of us are still walking closer to him. We're still pressing into his presence. And so I invite you into a core group of inconsistent people. I really do. I invite you into a world of inconsistency. I invite you into a world of people fighting addictions and depression. I invite you into a world of people saying, I'll never do that again, and doing it the next minute. I invite you into that world. I invite you into that. Because somehow, all of us inconsistent people still find a way to get back up and still be energized by the grace of God. Oh, man, he still loves me. Oh, he still cares for me. He, he did die for my sin. Oh, that is so true. I believe it. And when we raise our hands up in worship, it is not people of accomplishment. It's people who have had some victory and some defeat. But ultimately, he is our victory. He, he is our joy. He is our Lord. And so I just want to invite you into that. Because that distracted me, and I think it's distracting some of you. But here's the good news. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul said, For I delivered to you as of first importance. If you, you know, when the preacher says, If you hadn't heard anything else I have to say, this is what he's saying. First importance. This is the number one thing you got to walk away with. Of all this book, 16 chapters in this book, here's the number one thing you got to hear. First importance. What I also received that Christ died for our sins. that the guilt you feel comes because you have the, the DNA, you have that narrative of God in you, and you know that there's something wrong when you do things that don't honor God. And, there, and the reason why you feel guilt is because there is a penalty, and he pays that penalty. 
He dies for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And then he was buried. They put him in a grave because he was dead. And the disciples weren't outside waiting on the third day like, here we go. He's going he gonna to open it up. Yeah. Five, four, three, two, one. They said he's gone. And they were weeping. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than, I want you to hear this, 500 brothers at one time. 500 people said, we saw Jesus rise from the dead. And this is the crazy part. Paul says, most of them are still alive. Not, not now. He, when he wrote that letter, he was saying, if you don't believe in what I'm saying, go talk to the people. They're still alive. You can go and talk to them. Don't bank on my words. Bank on the testimony of over 500 people if you don't believe in what I'm saying, even though some had died. I want to encourage you want to encourage you. None of us in this room saw Jesus rise from the dead, but our lives radically changed because we trust him and we believed in him and we give our lives to him to lead our lives. And the problem is you are distracted by the Bible at times because, you know, Somebody told you that Jesus is just like Mithra and Horan. You saw a meme on Facebook one time, and you was just like, yeah, this is just like another story in Egypt, and you never researched it, but it sounds good. Like you saw and heard other things that are distracting you. The Bible may distract you some. But more importantly, for most of us, the problem with us and Jesus isn't us and Jesus. It's the church. And the church has broken your heart. And you saw something on TV one night, and you saw somebody that was selling something, and it just distracted you. Or you had some kind of church experience, and it distracted you. And the key then is, if Jesus rose again from the dead, then it's not about just understanding and getting everything in the Bible. It's also not just about the church. It's about worshiping Jesus. And so what we want you to hear today is that you need to stop focusing on the church that disappointed you and start focusing on the Savior that died for you. Focusing on the resurrected Savior. Take your eyes off the church. Take your eyes off the pastor. And put your eyes on Jesus. If he rose again from the dead, then your faith is not in vain. And your hope is not in vain. And your trust in God is not in vain, but it is real. And then the people that we knew that knew the Lord, then we can trust they have been in the resurrection with the Lord. And we do not have a faith that is resting on something that looks good, but we have a faith that rests on something that is solid and real. And today, 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 the voice of the Lord is crying out to you, do you believe this?
Do you believe this? And I pray that you would take all the the distractions and move them to the side and rest in the Lord today. Rest in him. Come into the world of of inconsistent people who love God. Enter into our space and walk with us as we seek to love and know him more. Before I pray, it's worth just leaning in and just saying to that one person who thinks that you've done something so despicable that it will distract God from loving you. The man that wrote this letter was a murderer. He actually spent his time trying to kill Christians. And he called himself the chief of sinners. And he went from being a murderer to being a person who worships the living God. And I just want to tell you that today, when I go on Facebook and tell people I'm a pastor, they're shocked because I have a past, but I also have new life. And today, I pray you stop focusing on your past and you focus on your new life because he is the resurrection, but he's also the life. New life in Christ. You can have new life in Christ. You can have new life in Christ. You can start over with him. You can have new life. You can have new life. Jesus, we thank you for the resurrection power of Jesus. We thank you that there is nothing that I could ever do that would separate me to extinction, God. But God, there is right now your life crying out to me, your words crying out to me. And Jesus, I pray that there is nothing in this room, no church experience, no Bible verse that is keeping us from that new life in Christ. I pray today that we would lean in and press in on Jesus. I pray we'd press in on who he is and his life. And God, right now, for the person that feels so scared, so scared of making a decision for Christ, so scared of following after him, God, I pray for that person, and I pray that those fears... I pray you'd quiet those fears. And I pray your voice would be even more real to us. Holy Spirit, do your work. Do your work right now. Do your work right now. Do your work in in your people. There are people in this room today that are longing for more of God and are simply afraid. I pray over those fears right now in the name of Jesus. I pray over every one of those fears. And I pray for courage. I pray for courage to come back. To come back into the community of God. And to come back into the presence of Jesus. 
Oh God, as we get ready to worship, Lord, I just pray we would have a moment with you and cry out to you. In Jesus' name we pray. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.